So the reading for tonight, we're um, reading um, through Isaiah, which uh, is amazing, the, the book of Isaiah, the prophecy of this man who lived in tumultuous times and was called by God to be a voice not only to Israel, to uh, Judah, but to the nations as well. And he didn't have a very enviable task because as a prophet of God in a time when people had turned away from God, hadn't wanted nothing to do with God, and even the Lord warned him that he would be speaking and people wouldn't want to listen to him, that their ears would not hear the message that he had to say, but some, some would. And so um, last time when we were in Isaiah, I took a a whole chunk um, because Basically, from chapters 13 to 23, it was an individual prophecy against a particular nation. And uh, he went through all the kind of nations. And at that time, there were different power brokers in the world. And there were the Assyrians, who were the, the power of the day. But there were other powers uh, vying for, for the land in that area. And uh, nothing changes We live in a world where there are superpowers vying for areas of land in the world, subjugating peoples and trying to insist on their own way. And the theme of judgment, so when Pearl was uh, saying, oh, what are you preaching on tonight? And um, was preparing for the worship, I said, judgment again. So um, I thought that was a brilliant choice of songs for tonight. Thank you. So this isn't going to be easy reading from Isaiah 24, the Lord's devastation of the earth. See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It will be the same for priests as well as for people, for the master as well as the servant, for the mistress as for her servant, for seller and for buyer, for borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor. The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. The earth dries up and withers. The world languishes and withers. The heavens languish with the earth. The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth and its people must bear their guilt. Therefore, earth's inhabitants are burned up and very few are left. The new wine dries up and the vine withers. All the merrymakers groan. The joyful tambourines are stilled. You might say praise the Lord, but you never. The noise of the revelers has stopped. The joyful harp is silent. No longer do they drink wine with a song. The beer is bitter to its drinkers. The ruined city lies desolate. The entrance to every house is barred. In the streets they cry out for wine. All joy turns to gloom. All joyful sounds are banished from the earth. The city is left in ruins. Its gate is battered to pieces. So it will be on the earth and among the nations. As when an olive tree is beaten or when the gleanings are left after the grape harvest. They raise their voices. They shout for joy. From the west they acclaim the Lord's majesty. Therefore in the east give glory to the Lord. Exalt the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the islands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we hear singing glory to the righteous one. But I said, I waste away. I waste away. Woe to me. 
The treacherous betray, with treachery the treacherous betray. Terror and pit and snare await you people of the earth. Whoever flees at the sound of terror will fall into a pit. Whoever climbs out of the pit will be caught in a snare. The floodgates of the heavens are opened. The foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken up. The earth is split asunder. The earth is violently shaken. The earth reels like a drunkard. It sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy upon it is its guilt of its rebellion, but it falls never to rise again. In that day, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on earth below. And they will be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They will be shut up in a prison and be punished for many days. The moon will be dismayed and the sun ashamed. For the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before its elders with great glory. Now you know why prophets were not popular. Imagine standing up in the middle of Camden and saying that. So the theme of judgment continues. Just on a lighter note, we're going to look at these pictures. And um, there is a reason for me for showing these pictures rather than I just like them. Um, see, when we read Isaiah, we do have to bear in mind perspectives. And as we read, particularly in, in the prophecies of, of judgment, about is the prophet speaking to the now situation that he faced, which was terrible? Or was he speaking about something that was going to happen way away in the distance? Because we know that reading through Isaiah, who lived... 700 years before Jesus was born, prophesied that Jesus would come. He prophesied that a virgin will give birth to a baby son and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is astonishing that he saw that far. He saw Jesus from that distance. Describes the way Jesus will die in the later chapters that we'll get onto. And I think... It's both and. We have to hold both together. Isaiah was speaking to the very situation he was in, to the people that he lived amongst, the nations that surrounded, but he also speaks to a time much further on. And so that's why I've got these pictures, because you can see the near and the far together in the one picture. I've got quite a few of these. I think they're nice. Can we go through them? Is it possible to get... There should be about eight of them in the little folder PowerPoint no don't worry if not okay that's the trouble when you do an illustration it takes more time than the rest of the message doesn't it oh have you ever done that has anyone ever done something like that I've got one of me somewhere somewhere holding the moon up I like that one (laughs) Okay, yeah, we can run through these. It's the near and the far. It's, it's, sometimes our eyes play tricks on us. Seeing two things at once. That's the last one. He looks like Gareth Gates, if you remember him. Okay, that theme of judgment. I believe that Isaiah speaks to both the near and the far. I think he clearly sees both. 
In the previous chapters, those ten that we looked at, all the nations, and he listed them. And as he listed them, the people of Israel that he had been speaking to would have gone, yes, they deserve judgment. They're evil. They're terrible. And they would have agreed with it. They were pagan in their practices. They sacrificed their children in the fires. They bowed down to idols and pagan gods. And then he brings a judgment against Israel itself. That actually, for all your religiousness, you've turned away from the Lord and suddenly they're dumbfounded. Isaiah is clear that God works his purposes out in world history. Now, the danger of of looking too closely into that is when we say, oh yeah, God is doing that and God is bringing that. But what we do know is that throughout world history, God is working his purposes out, that nations rise and nations fall. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Superpowers come and superpowers go. But through it all, God is sovereign and will work his purposes out. That's that double perspective, seeing two things at once. And if we read the New Testament too, that, we see that again applied in the New Testament. Isaiah is the most quoted apart from the Psalms book in the New Testament, from the whole of the Old Testament. It's Isaiah that's quoted the most. Jesus quotes from Isaiah in Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call attention to its buildings. Do you see all these? He asked, truly I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. The scene is Jerusalem. They've walked past the temple and the disciples are saying, aren't these magnificent buildings? And Jesus prophesies that actually the temple will be destroyed. Not one stone will lie upon another. And it happened in AD 70. That prophecy of Jesus came true. But he links it to something else. Following these hard times The sun will fade out, the moon cloud over, stars fall out of the sky, cosmic powers tremble. Then the arrival of the Son of Man. It will fill the skies, no one will miss it. Unready people all over the world, outsiders to the splendor of power, will raise a huge lament as they watch the Son of Man blazing out of heaven. Jesus At that same time, he'll dispatch his angels with a trumpet blast summons, pulling in God's chosen from the four winds from pole to pole. So in the midst of the discussion that he has with his disciples about the destruction of the temple that will happen in AD 70, within that same discourse, he starts talking about the end times when he will come again. So it's the near and the far again. And he quotes from Isaiah, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And he says, then the Son of Man will come, referring to himself. And all peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Why will they mourn? Because they will realize that they have missed the coming of the King, recognizing who God is. Now, when Isaiah speaks, the bit that Jesus quotes, he's talking about the fall, the sudden fall of Babylon, meaning Assyria. But Jesus is speaking and applies it to his own sudden return 
to an unsuspecting, unprepared world. The Apostle Paul also quotes from Isaiah 2, 1 Corinthians 15, 32, he quotes. He quotes this um, part from Isaiah 22, where the people in Jerusalem were saying, well, you know, let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Let's just have a party and a whoopee because, you know, we don't know if God exists anymore. And Paul quotes that from Isaiah to describe those who would sneer at the notion of the return of Jesus as the judge of the world. How many people might we know in our context who would sneer if we would say, actually, Jesus is coming back and he's going to be the judge of the whole world? There would be many in our midst who would say, you're off your rocker. Where is he then? It's 2,000 years since he said he was coming again. Where is he? Let's eat, drink tomorrow because we'll die and there's nothing more after that. And Paul is warning those who would read his letters. And people from every generation who would share that same complacency. And then there's the book of Revelation 2. quoting from Isaiah as well, speaking about the final day of judgment. I'm going to read that in a little bit. So Isaiah 24, the passage that we read, although it seems quite heavy as we read it, Isaiah is seeing actually beyond the here and now, and he's seeing to something bigger, that there will be a day of judgment for the whole world. That's quite something for a little prophet from Judea to say. But he's saying one day, the whole world will answer to the God who made the world. Isaiah 24, just as a chapter, and if you want to reread it at any other time, has sometimes been called by the commentators that I was reading this week, Isaiah's Apocalypse. Or mini-revelation. Because it is dealing with kind of end time things. But as we read through it, the theme actually is the triumph of God, which is good news. It seriously is good news that God triumphs. The alternative is evil triumphs. God triumphs in the end. It means that the reign of sin and death and evil and its very presence will end one day. That the earth one day will be renewed, made new, made whole, where there will be no more evil, pain, suffering, death. All the things that we sometimes blame God for will be revealed that there was nothing to do with God in the first place, but it was evil. And when evil is taken away, it is just goodness and godliness that remains. I've met people who who won't believe in God because of all the destruction in the world, all the evil and suffering in the world. And when I try and explain, it's nothing to do with God. That's why he came to rescue us from it.
Isaiah somehow sees that one day the kingdom of God will come in all its fullness. That, that image of new heaven and new earth, Isaiah picks that up in 65 and 66 of his chapters. New heaven, new earth. Now, it's, it's unclear in the New Testament as far as I can read it. I know other people will know the New Testament far better than I. Whether the earth will be renewed or will it, will it be made brand new? Will the earth be as we know it now, just destroyed and made new, a whole new creation? Or will God somehow take what is now and remake it and renew it? If you read from 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 11, Peter, I think have we got that one? The day of the Lord will come. Can we go back? The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Destroyed. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Peter is warning there is a day coming, day of judgment. But if you just read Peter in the New Testament, you'd think, actually, yeah, the earth is going to be destroyed. And God will remake it. And he will populate it with all who are his, who have gone before and who are waiting for his return. But then you read Romans chapter 8. And we've got a few passages from Romans chapter 8. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, by the, by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And as you read Romans 8, you think, the whole creation, and you you can see it when you watch the news and and you hear of things that are going on in our world. The whole creation seems to be groaning. What's it groaning for? It's waiting for Jesus. The one who made it in the first place is going to come and make it new again. And then there's the book of Revelation, John, who quotes from Isaiah. That idea of new heaven and new earth is picked up. Have we got a few verses from Revelation? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from God's throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And that tells us that when God makes it new, whether it's renewed or made brand new, He is going to live amongst those who have been longing for him, waiting for him. Be reconciled to God. The message right through the Old and the New Testament. In whichever way we choose to read those passages, the bottom line is that God wins. 
the lamb wins. There's a, a revelation, a commentary by Simon Ponsonby, one of our friends, and love his books, and he entitled it, The Lamb Wins. Jesus wins. And Isaiah, this man who lived 700 years before Jesus was born, sees the judgment of God is both terrible and glorious. Now, to be fair, when you read chapter 24, most of it's taken up with the terror bit of it, the warning of it. But the glory does break through as well. It's glorious because it is a manifestation of God's total sovereignty. We are all accountable to God. Every single person who's ever been made on this earth are accountable to God. And in verses 14 to 16, there's that glimmer of the glorious. He says, from the ends of the earth, we will hear singing glory to the righteous one. As people come from the east and the west, and God will gather his new humanity. And there's that hint at the very end in verse 23. The Lord will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem with great glory. Again, don't be deceived that you think, oh, well, it's going to be that physical Jerusalem we know now. No, if you read Revelation, it's the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Where it will be geographically, maybe in the same place. And that will be glorious. And Isaiah, when he prophesies, prophesies with, with kind of an expectancy and a certainty that made people think he was nuts. Crazy man. The Lord's about to lay waste the earth. Too much wine, Isaiah. But he continues. He says, everyone will face judgment. And everyone will meet it the same. There are no special concessions, no social position, wealth, or even religious title that means that you will not stand before God on that day. And there's lots of imagery there, of imagery of flood and of drought. He says in verse 5 that the earth is defiled, that God's covenant has been broken. And that's why Jesus says when he shares that meal with his disciples, this is the new covenant sealed in my blood. God has made a new covenant. And he's done everything that we need. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to to be good enough. We just have to trust the Savior of the world. And it's sealed in his blood, he says. Jesus is the only Savior. And the images pile on one another in that day. It'll be like a vineyard without grapes. It'll be like a city that is so quiet that there is no noise in the city. It'll be like an olive tree that has been stripped of its olives. But then that suddenly, that glory breaks through, scattered among the nations from the east to the west. So not just from one place. Even Isaiah sees that that those who are God's people will come from the ends of the earth. From every tribe and tongue and nation. Those who have turned to God And accepted his love and his rescue. There will be those who have acknowledged the Lord. Jesus said. Those who believed in him. 
would receive eternal life, would be inheritors of that. And so Isaiah sees, as he prophesies judgment, that God triumphs. And there will be those who accept his love and grace and mercy. And good triumphs over evil and truth triumphs over lies and life triumphs over death. And the song of praise will go out from the east to the west. It's the song of the redeemed. And God will bring salvation to those who have trusted and believed in him. Not because he didn't want to save everybody. Make no mistake, God wants to save everybody. But he will not save you against your will. He will not rescue you if you do not want to be rescued. But he has made everything possible. He has done everything. What more could he do than come himself to this broken world and give his life for us? How can a good God, a loving God, send people out of his presence to be banished from his presence forever? He doesn't. People choose that because they don't want to be rescued. Why is it so hard for people to choose to be rescued? Makes no sense. But there's a spiritual battle for every heart, every life. That song of praise will go out. Those who have been rescued by the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, the King. And Isaiah says in those days, the powers will be punished. Powers in the heavens above. What does that mean? I take it to mean the powers of evil in this world. We don't live in a neutral place. God has an enemy who is fighting and opposing him. He's the source of all evil in our world. But one day, those powers will be done away with. And the kings on the earth below will bow. And finally, chapter 24 ends fittingly with a burst of light. Praise the Lord. And it's almost looking ahead to the coming of Jesus. And it says the light will be so brilliant that it will shame the sun. The sun will be ashamed of its poorness, of its inadequacy when the light of Jesus comes. It's like the sun is embarrassed. I love the way that Isaiah just plays with that imagery. And then the redeemed, those who are rescued, those who are saved, are represented by those words, the elders. Because the Lord's triumph is not for him alone. The Lord is not going to remake the world just for him. It's for his beloved. Those he has rescued. Those who have, by faith, accepted his love. And his glory consists not only of his righteousness, but also of his grace, which we are so thankful for. None of us could stand in our own merit, not one of us. But as we sang earlier, 
we can stand because of his grace. So yes, I believe Isaiah, when he spoke these words, was calling out to Israel, calling out to Judea, calling out to Jerusalem. You're going the wrong way. Judgment will come. But he's also calling out to a world, even of today, to accept the rescue of God. To accept all that Christ has done. Our sins forgiven. New life. New hope. The world as we know it now will not last forever. Praise God. Heaven is coming. New heaven, new earth is coming. It's glorious. But it is hard news for some people to accept. When's God coming? Don't believe it. Our task is to be like Isaiah, pointing to the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and one day that he's coming again. I'm not advocating that we go out and read Isaiah 24 on the high streets of our towns. But I am saying that we need to live as people who have a hope beyond this world. That whatever evil that we see in this world, we know that that's going to come to an end. And that however God does it, he's, we can trust him with it. That he won't make any mistakes because he is good and faithful. And so if we live with that hope in our heart, we don't have to fear those things. Judgment, yeah, will be terrible and glorious depending who you've chosen to believe. Gosh. We'll move on next time and something more of praise, I think. Isaiah 25. Let's pray together.